0: To the Fromer Travel Show, I'm Pauline Fromer, your host, and joining me, at least for this first segment, is Jason Cochran, who is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. He also is the author of Fromer's Orlando Guidebook, which is Fromer's easy guide to Walt Disney World, Universal, and Orlando. And I'm going to have to start again by asking you, Jason, did I get the name of that book right? This is getting to be a running <laughs> gag on this podcast because I can't seem to remember the name of our own books. Was that right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a, you, you actually gave more than was in the, in the actual title. We just, Damn. because there's not enough room on the cover right. of the thing, thing for all the words you yeah. say, Disney World, Universal, and Orlando, even though it's Walt Disney World, even though it's Universal Orlando. I you keep know, doing so. that. It's oh fine. well.
0: So if you're listening to this podcast it's Disney World you've guidebook. listened before, this is not a repeat. I'm just making the same mistakes over and over and over anyway. I think from um, now
1: on you should just say our Disney World in Orlando guidebook and then let the chips fall where they may.
0: I, I think I feel like my brain is getting duller. And you know why? Because I haven't been traveling as much as usual. And I think that's what keeps me sharp. And I thought In May and June, I thought, okay, I'm going to be on the road all the time at this point in the year. Uh, Everything looked like it was opening up, and the exact opposite is happening. Actually, some places are opening, some are closing. It's this never-ending, bizarre, I don't even know what to call it, protocol palooza that we're having to uh, cover constantly on fromers.com. So let's talk about some of the recent reopenings. Hooray! Chile. What is Chile doing?
1: Chile is reopening October 1st. It's been uh, out of the travel biz for international tourists for about 18 months, like a lot of countries. But on October 1st, if you are vaccinated, you can come. Now, there's a whole bunch of rules, like they're being super, super conservative about it. So you have to be vaccinated. You have to fill out forms. You have to have travel coverage that includes COVID-19 in case you get sick. You have to have a test and you have to quarantine for five days and you have to keep following up with them for two weeks by emailing that. So for all those reasons, it's going to be fine if you're going to be there for a month or two, because then, you know, that's all done within the first two weeks. But if you wanted to go for a week or two, Five of those days are going to be spent in quarantine. So so basically, Chile is reopened for long-term tourists, not so much for short-stay tourists.
0: Yeah. That being said, Chile has a remarkably high vaccination rate. So it should be a very safe place to visit if you have the time to quarantine, which who does?
1: Hence the conservative rules. I mean, it's a, they're yeah. trying to keep it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, Thailand seems to be opening up with fewer rules, but they're being a somewhat vague about what their protocols will be. They're saying they're not opening the whole country, they're opening Bangkok and several other top touristic destinations within the country. And they have said that tourists will be allowed to go to designated areas. And they have said that that won't just be your hotel. And they're using as the example, they've already opened Phuket, uh, the Mm -hmm. beach resort area of Phuket. And they're saying, yes, it'll be just like in Phuket. But in Phuket, there haven't been any designated areas. Tourists have been pretty much allowed to go everywhere. So They too will be opening very soon, but there's a big question mark on what that will mean. And unfortunately, the Thai government is not being very forthcoming. In terms of places where it's going to get a little harder to visit, within the United States, we have Hawaii. And Hawaii has been really notable because... These protocols are coming not just from county governments, and we're seeing the county governments of Oahu and Maui, and Maui includes not only the island of Maui, but also Molokai and Lanai, basically say that you can't do most anything indoors without proving that you're vaccinated. Now, Oahu's being a little less strict. They're saying if you've taken a test within a week, you can show that and do things indoors. But the interesting thing about Hawaii, to me at least, is a major hotel group called Highgate Hotels has said, you can't stay in our hotels if you're not vaccinated, because we're making our staff get vaccinated. And for their safety, we want our guests to be vaccinated too. I think this is the first hotel group to do this. Have you heard of any others, Jason?
1: You know, you know, I think it, it's it's one of those things that we're going to be hearing more of, I think. Right. Now that maybe. the vaccines especially have gotten their FDA approvals, they're going to have the cover, you know, medically to say, you know, it's fair for us to ask for this. So I think this is not the first.
0: Well, and now that the Biden administration has said that any enterprise with more than 100 employees has to have vaccine mandates, uh, maybe for huge hotels that may also come into play be right. very interesting. Interestingly,
1: now- you know, in Europe, by the way, you know, there's there's like a double door system that's being that's developing. Like if you're vaccinated, you can cruise right in with a test. If hmm. you're unvaccinated in France and in Italy, you'll have to quarantine again, like you had to about a year ago, and it's as long as a week. So um, there's, there's a very clear dichotomy that has developed between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated in Europe, except in a couple countries that have just said, oh, forget it, nobody can come in. And that is Sweden and Bulgaria. The very day that ABBA announced its big comeback after 40 years, uh, Sweden, (laughs) its home country, said, no Americans, please, for now, even if you're vaccinated. So it's a real hodgepodge. it's, It's a protocol palooza for sure within Europe. But, you know, the Netherlands has announced one thing and then it co- turns around and it announces something else a couple of days later. Um, they originally said that tourists from America and a couple other countries could only enter if they were vaccinated and they were required to quarantine. A few days later, they changed their minds. And as of September 22nd, vaccinated travelers don't have to quarantine. So just because we're now saying this country wants you to quarantine, this one doesn't, check tomorrow because they're all you know, rapidly changing uh, from day to day, what they seem to want.
0: Yeah, I, I'm friendly with a wonderful travel writer named Andrea Sachs, who who did a terrific piece in the Washington Post, in which during the month of, I think it was July, she hopped to seven different European countries, and Malta was on her schedule, then off her schedule, and finally on her schedule again. She was able to go there. But the Netherlands and Malta and several other company countries they just keep changing sometimes within the course of a week, a couple of times they change back and forth. It's very
1: confusing. It's terrible for tourism. How can you plan a trip without knowing if you're going to have to quarantine or not? Right. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they should or shouldn't decide what's good for them in each of their own countries. I'm just saying it sure is complicating our ability to make plans.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I got to say there's one company, I wrote an article about it today that that's Doing a, and we have no, no affiliation. Whatever we discuss these things, you know, we're journalists. We're just discussing it. But Sandals Resorts and they also own beaches, so beaches and sandals. It's these beachfront resorts in different uh, islands of the Caribbean. They have put in all of these guarantees that they're hoping will make a Caribbean vacation palatable, not just palatable, but but worry-free, even in the midst of this pandemic. So if you have to quarantine, if heaven forbid the worst happens and you come down with COVID on your vacation, they'll give you a free quarantine for two weeks.
1: I think that's great. And they'll also help yeah. you, you know, how you have to test uh, if you're out yeah. of the country to get back in the US, they'll have the test for you right there. So you don't have to hunt, hunt it down in the island yeah. destination. I think it's great. The more you can make people not worry about making a mistake or getting sick, the better. And this just takes the worry off. You can cancel if you want to and go later. They're not going to penalize you. You're not going to lose your money. And if you happen to get sick, they're going to cover you for 14 days while you quarantine there. So you're not going to be out of pocket if something bad happens. I think it's terrific. And I'd like to see more giant companies doing this.
0: Right. Not only can you, uh, not go, you can go later. You can also fully cancel if it's a, more than a month out ahead. If you just think, oh gosh, I just don't feel right about going somewhere in a month and a half or two months or three months or whatever it is, you'll get all your money back. So that's it's terrific. Really It's
1: unheard pretty, of, you know, this yeah. is very unusual. It's only good. I mean, from now to the end of next year, but I still think that's a terrific advance. Uh, and, um, yeah, people should take a look at it. If you're into all-inclusives, have a look at these terms and see if they sit well with you.
0: Yeah, no, I, I was very impressed with. I thought it was a very smart program, and it, it's funny that it's the only one I've seen so far uh, like that. I, I bet others will follow. We'll see. Now, it's humane, don't you? Don't you, it's hospitable? Yeah. Isn't that what a hospitality
1: company is supposed to be? It's hospitable. Absolutely. I like it.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Uh, speaking of a hospitality company, you are Mr. Disney. You've written the Disney Guide for many years now. And this year was supposed to be the celebration to end all celebrations for Disney World because it's their 50th anniversary. And what, 18 months ago or 16 months ago, they they made huge announcements (laughs) before the world shut down, of course, about what was coming, what was going to be incredible at this anniversary. What's happened? What is this anniversary actually going to be like?
1: Yeah, you know, of course they're not. They're, they're, COVID has had a lot to do with a lot of yeah. the things that aren't going to be happening during the anniversary. You know, they they've had to cancel a bunch of projects that they said they were going to be working on for the celebration or the promotional period of the anniversary. Um, they're basically the stuff that's opening now is stuff that they've been building for the last four or five years anyway. And a lot of the newer stuff that they'd announced in like 2017 and 2018 and 2019 less likely to happen because hmm. COVID has has put a dent in everything. This is the 50th. Anniversary of the Magic Kingdom, which is the the number one amusement park in the planet, and it's the main theme park at Walt Disney World in Florida. October first, nineteen seventy one, is the day it opened. And so they are going to have you know all this incredible stuff happening, and they were building these big rides, and it just it's sort of trickling out so that on actual the actual day of October first. Almost um, none of the massive stuff they had promised is going to be opening yet. They're opening up a nighttime show at Epcot. They're finally opening up a ride based on the Pixar movie Ratatouille at Epcot on October 1st. But that that was supposed to have opened a year ago. So it's not really something that they originally intended for the 50th anniversary specifically.
0: And it's not just that things they had promised aren't opening. In certain ways, the Disney experience isn't as robust as it was pre-pandemic, mostly because they haven't rehired a lot of the staff that they let go during the pandemic, like, right?
1: Like so many businesses, they're trying to squeak by with a skeleton crew, even as everything picks back up again. And we've seen this in the hotel industry in a terrible way that's causing all kinds of service problems. It's happened. A lot of the live entertainers at Disney have not been hired back. And so not everything has returned. The parades are, you know, kind of very tiny, distant. They call them cavalcades, which is pretty much like when the queen drives by you in a car. It's sort of a a bit more like that than an actual parade um (laughs) and they're also they've turned to sort of promoting this the most measly things as major attractions for this 18 month promotional period like they're putting new lighting on the central icons of the four theme parks normally they could change the lighting and no one would notice and they wouldn't get a name but here they're promoting it as new lighting we're calling them beacons of magic you must fly here for that And most people aren't going to. Now, there are two major rides that are going to be opening. There's a new Tron roller coaster, which is a clone of one they have at Shanghai Disneyland that's opening at Magic Kingdom. And there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster, um, which is going to be very groundbreaking indoors. It's also going to be opening at Epcot, but neither one of them has an opening date yet. So we know they're not going to open for the 50th anniversary. The, the assumption is they're going to open about you know within 18 months from October 1st. So They're going to stretch this out to make it a long promotional period, but they haven't even announced when they're coming. So basically, you know, from a consumer standpoint, it's hard for me to say everyone should go to Disney this year for the 50th anniversary, because not everything that's coming online to promote the 50th anniversary is here yet. The 50th anniversary is going to be more like the 52nd anniversary, you know, go in two Hmm. years and all this stuff is open.
0: Well, and also, I can't remember if we've discussed this on this podcast, we probably have, but... It's also going to be a lot more expensive, especially if you want to book your rides in advance. Because Disney got rid of Fast Pass and has input a system which just seems designed to separate you from your hard-earned money. Is that yeah. too cynical?
1: No, that's a, it's true. I don't know. It's yeah. They're calling Lightning Lane and Genie Plus. It's it's a very confusing way to say basically. If you don't want to wait in the long line that everyone has to wait in, you can pay a bit of extra money to have the right to wait in a shorter line. And it it, uh, it will in some cases, for the most popular rides, it'll be pay per ride. So right. for example, if you want to ride the Rise of Resistance ride that they have in the new Star Wars area, you can pay extra for it. And I am alarmed by this, not just because of what it'll do to the average budget, because uh, they haven't released how much it'll cost, but I don't think it's unreasonable to think it'd be $20 or more per person every time you want to do it. Well, so, then it's going family, to be surge
0: pricing, right? They're going to charge different prices on different days. That's the
1: assumption. But 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 also take a step back and from what's really happening here. Now it is in Disney's interest. If a ride doesn't work well, if the line doesn't move fast, it's in their interest to um charge you Keep more it, for it. So yeah. So, like, how do we know they 're not just going to keep rides not working smoothly to try to force people to pay to join the fast line
0: yeah and I mean yeah
1: that 's an incentive i mean i 'm not knowing that we don't know that the company will of course do that. that would be extraordinarily problematic, but now, the financial incentive is there because they yeah. the more dissatisfied people are with the lines, the more they 're going to pay to avoid them and so, what kind of mayhem could that bring
0: right right before before I let you go, uh, our colleague Zach. Wrote a fascinating piece on the fact that surge pricing could be coming to hotel amenities, the fourth largest hotel group in the nation, and it's not a name you would know because it it holds different brands. So it, it's I can't remember the name of it actually, but you know it owns some Marriotts, it owns some Hilton's. It's basically a, a large conglomeration that franchises hotels of different brands. It is going to be, and also a lot of uh, non-branded hotels, it is experimenting with surge pricing for amenities. So instead of having a resort fee, say it's a beautiful sunny day and you want to take your kids to the swimming pool. Well, sorry, that'll be $10 per person to enter. What? It was only $5 yesterday. Well, yesterday it was overcast. And so not as many people wanted to go. The same for the business center, the same for other amenities. They are looking at doing this type of, it's called dynamic pricing. It's called surge pricing for hotel amenities.
1: You're you're suddenly Uh, a pool. with like an Uber. Yeah. The group is called oh. MCR Hotels. They have about 100 properties. Uh, people might know the TWA Hotel at JFK or the Highline right. Hotel in Manhattan. They do. They control those. And yeah, you know what I was saying earlier in the podcast about, I thought you were supposed to be a hospitality company. What's hospitable about that? And why are you staying in a hotel if not for all of the amenities that you thought you got automatically for staying in that hotel? It's, um, it's a terrible trend. And yeah. uh, you know it's illegal in Europe, by the way. Europe, you can't do this and, and stay on the right hmm. side of the law in, the, in Europe, but. And, but during the pandemic, I think, and this is one of the things I talked about in an interview with The Washington Post that ran this week, during the pandemic, people are just tired and they're, they're tired of fighting every little thing and, and arguing every little thing. And it's hard to get a staff member at a hotel to wipe these off of your bill if you do want right. to get out of resort fee. And um, you know in in Orlando, about a, you know a year ago when you know half the parks were half closed still and everyone was terrified before the vaccines, Many hotels had to shut down, but the ones that were operating were still charging resort fees. And if, you know, if a bottoming out of the market isn't enough to get these companies to remove these fees that everybody hates, well, what is? And the only thing I can think of is we have to rebel and not stay in hotels that decided it is hospitable to charge you $25 for the pool today and $30 tomorrow.
0: Well, you you wrote an article about the fact that these hotels at the height of the pandemic, were still charging resort fees despite the fact that everything they covered wasn't happening. The pool was closed. Breakfast wasn't being offered. The business center was closed. Everything you were supposedly paying for with that resort fee wasn't available. And yet they were still charging those resort fees. And I'm so proud because your article is, is part of a lawsuit now. People are using it as evidence in a lawsuit about why resort fees are bogus. Can you tell a little bit about that?
1: <laughs> but this was nothing I knew about. Something that appeared in a court filing that uh, there's a, there's a consumer advocacy group that is taking MGM hotels to Superior Court around D.C., um, based on the amenities that it charge, or the resort fees that it charges for its amenities. And it quoted an article I wrote on Fromers.com a year ago in September that basically said what you just said, that said, hey, wait a minute, the hotels claim that we're paying resort fees to pay for these amenities. These amenities aren't there anymore, but they're still charging us the exact same thing in the resort fee. That's a scam. you know. And this line, I don't remember the exact wording that they decided to use, appeared... In the lawsuit, and my google alerts popped up one day with my name uh, in this in this lawsuit filing that was filed in march um and this one the, the the lawsuit mGM was trying to get them to dismiss it and the the consumer group doesn't want to that's where that stands
0: can be but interesting. yeah,
1: it was pretty yeah. gratifying. I was and I thought it was a logical point that I made, and I I don't understand why more attorneys general aren't doing aren't going after well, it. You know, we need laws.
0: Well, and also it's not just a scam on consumers. Often the resort fees aren't taxable, whereas the hotel room fee is, and so this is a way for them to do tax evasion. Yeah,
1: uh, it it, it dodges legally, but it dodges taxes, and or you know, well, it's taxed at a different rate. But it's it's uh, it's definitely cheating the the tax base.
0: Right, right. Well, all fascinating stuff. Thank you, Jason. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Our next guest is Christopher Muther. He is a travel writer and a columnist for the
2: Distinguished Boston Globe. Welcome to the Frommer Travel Show, Chris. Thank you so much for letting me be here, Pauline.
0: Well, I really enjoyed your recent article, which had a rather obvious title, but it did what it needed to. It said, what's it like to cruise during a pandemic? So let's just start at the beginning. What made you decide that you wanted to try cruising during a pandemic?
2: Well, one, obviously, I'm a little off kilter that I would decide to do (laughs) such a thing. But the thing that really drew me to it was that cruises were starting again. And I thought that's such a peculiar thing to actually want to get on a ship. I understand the appeal for a lot of people because, you know, for many, that's their mode, their favorite kind of vacation. It's their favorite mode of transportation. So I wanted to let readers know or give a perspective to readers of what it's like. You know, did I feel safe? Um, Were the protocols followed? All of those things. So,
0: And to be fair, you decided to do this when the world was opening up again, when a Delta was not even on anybody's radar. And it looked like this would be a wise thing to do, right?
2: Yeah, that's actually a really good point to make was that Delta hadn't really come in full force to the United States yet, or to Europe. And, you know, what I decided to do with the cruise itself is because in Florida, the governor there won't put a mandate in place that requires that allows businesses to require vaccination proof right. of vaccination
0: Well hasn't he didn't he lose the lawsuit about that though because I know cru- some cruise lines have been pushing back but back when you were you were booking I know it's gone back and forth with different judges if I'm if I'm correct
2: Yes it it has and some cruise lines have been more aggressive than others about fighting that Some some want to work with him to try to change his mind. Some are kind of, you know, we're just going to do this. So because of all of that, I decided to start my cruise out of Greece. At least that's the reasoning I gave my editor. I really just wanted to (laughs) go to Europe and go to Greece. Uh, But on the particular cruise that I took, because it was leaving um, in the EU – vaccination was required for mm. everybody on board. And we were also regularly tested. Well, let's,
0: yeah, let's go through this step by step, because there were a lot of hoops you had to jump through just to get on board the cruise ship. So w- once you signed up, and let's say you, you signed up for the very elegant, very pricey Silver Seas cruise line, it was a brand new ship, the Silver Moon, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But what, what what were what were the protocols? What did you have
2: to do once you said I'm taking this cruise? Initially, when signing up, you, you went. I went through all of the normal steps, and then I needed to upload my CDC card that to essentially show that I had been vaccinated. But there were a couple of other tricky things. Uh, one is I had a connecting flight through Spain. And, you know, then my final destination was Greece. So in addition to working with the cruise ship to prove my vaccination, I also had to do the same with Spain and Greece, Mm -hmm. the governments of Spain and Greece, which meant I didn't need a COVID test because I was vaccinated, but each country had a different app that I needed to download and then upload all of my information into. And it generated a QR code that I would then show at the airport. And what I noticed was that not everybody had followed these steps. And so they were kind of Uh. stuck at the airport filling out this information. But for me, it was... It was a fairly straightforward process. The only part of it that was a little harrowing was Greece would only send you the QR code 24 hours before departure. So I was just kind of biting my fingernails thinking, what if it doesn't show up? What do I do then? But it arrived and it was fine.
0: I wonder if they've changed that since you went. When was this that you actually cruised? It
2: was in July.
0: Yeah. So, so everything is just so unstable. You never know what the protocols are going to be week to week. So you get to Greece and then you get to the ship, but that's not uh, they don't just allow you to board, right? You there's there's more that you have to do.
2: Yeah, and you know, I was even though it meant taking a little longer with the process, I was completely on board, no pun intended, with all of it you know, when I arrived, they were staggering people getting on the ship. So it wasn't just a mass of people arriving at, you know, noon or two o'clock to get on the ship. You were assigned a time to get on the ship. And then once you arrived, you were given a rapid COVID test. Um, So you, you showed up in one part of like a big kind of tent that they had set up was to administer the test. And then you would go, they'd give you a number, You'd sit to the side, you'd wait, they'd call your name and then they would give you your result. And then you could finally go into the cruise port and then you would do your normal, your normal process of showing your passport, all of that, and then showing your negative COVID test and vaccine card. So it was, you know, there's a few extra layers. It's not impossible, but for people who, you know, for those of us who travel a lot, it's just additional things to think about.
0: Yeah. And you had to wear a mask, except if you were away from other people and outdoors, or if you were eating or drinking. And you also had to take another test on board. I have a feeling some of the folks listening to this podcast may be saying, that doesn't sound like a vacation to me. But you had a good time, right?
2: I did have a good time. And there are definitely ways to make all of that work to ways to take the stress out of it. So one of the things I did was I chose outdoor dining options as much as possible on the ship. So that way I didn't feel like I was in an enclosed space without a mask on, you know, it's the other part of it is that while wearing a mask around inside the ship, it didn't feel any different from Our day to day lives now. You know, for instance, in Massachusetts, in Boston, our mask mandate is back. So it's, and I never really stopped. So it didn't feel to me like it was ruining my vacation. For some people Mm -hmm. who aren't happy about it, it might feel uncomfortable. But I'm always, um, always going on the side of caution. So I was fine I was really fine to do it. The other piece of advice which also kind of flies in the face of cruising is that instead of kind of being my outgoing self and talking to strangers and meeting people, I I bubbled up. I was on the cruise by myself, but I kind of immediately bonded with a few people and I oh. stuck with those people through Dinners through all of those things.
0: That's so interesting. I, you know, you you talk about the two the people you met so fondly. I assumed that while you were maybe in your own stateroom, that you guys had come on board the ship together. But you met on the ship.
2: Yeah, we uh, wow. we met on the <laughs> ship, and a lot of people on the ship assumed that we'd come on together as well. There was a woman I met who was there with her nephew who had just graduated from high school. So she was bringing him on this trip and yeah, we, I just really got lucky because we shared, we shared the same sense of humor, the same uh, worldview. So I would recommend, you know, I think a lot of people would be cruising with a spouse, a family, all of that, which would make more sense, obviously, but Yeah. I also, but a lot of people go on cruises to meet other cruises, other cruisers. And I think in this particular period of time, maybe to just kind of step back from that a little bit.
3: Hmm.
0: Tell us about the ship. It was a brand new ship from, from Silver Sea, which as I said at the start, it's one of the most upscale, luxurious cruise lines on the seven seas. How was it? What, what, what was it like? It was
2: pretty fantastic. Uh, One of the reasons why... Another reason why I chose this particular cruise was because it's a new ship. So I wanted to check it out. I also thought a new ship is probably going to be the safest of all. It's just off the assembly line. You know, no one else has been in it before. Uh, This particular ship, it's something that Silver, Silver Sea is doing, which is a focus on culinary experiences. So I'll get to sort of the decor parts of the ship in a minute. But one of the things that they're doing is they've built in a test kitchen where people, Mm. passengers can go and take classes, cooking classes. And the cooking classes are all focused on the cuisine, the local cuisine of where you are on the ship at that particular time. Wow! So for instance, we were at sea before going to Cyprus and someone came on board who local who had written a book and she talked to us about the culture and the food and the ship's, uh, chef and sous chef were there to teach us a class on how to cook these things. It was really well put together and interesting. And, you know, at one point I made baklava and all of Mm. those things. So, and, you know, I, I, and more of a Duncan Hines out of the box cake kind of <laughs> guy. So right. and I, I, I did it; it went really well. And was it competitive?
0: Because yeah. I would think there probably isn't that much room in the test kitchen. How did you you get in? Because you're a travel writer, do you think, or or how do, how does it work?
2: Um, you know, they didn't really know who I was, which is ah, the good. trick of it. Um, yeah. So I was, you know, in their eyes, an ordinary passenger, albeit a weird middle-aged guy traveling by himself, but still <laughs> right. an ordinary passenger. But you know, I think it's so early in the process that not a lot of people sort of understood how it worked or or you know could quite fathom that there was a specific kitchen built for this purpose on huh. the boat. And you know, the other part of that as well is that they're offering excursions but not just ordinary kind of go to see the sites excursion but there was an excursion we took to an organic farm Mm, far far from the port um, where we picked a bunch of vegetables and cooked them and we kind of made our own dinner
0: sounds fabulous wow So did you find that the people in Greece were welcoming? You know, uh, when this pandemic started, uh, cruise ships were, as they kept saying, floating petri dishes. And a lot of destinations right now, like the Cayman Islands and the Caribbean, and there are a couple of others here and there, aren't accepting cruise ships anymore, or at least the really massive ones. And Silver Sea is smaller, obviously. But did, did you feel welcome in the different ports you went to in Greece?
2: That's a really good question. Um, The fact that I don't recall any animosity, I think speaks to the fact that we were probably welcome. I think we're also welcome because tourism has taken such a hit. I mean, everywhere, but in Greece as well. And so much of the economy in the Greek islands, which is where the sailing took place is based around tourism. So I'd never felt that way. I was actually shocked at the number of tourists that I saw there, international tourists who were there. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I, I think that's because Greece was one of the first to say they were going to accept international tourists. So they got slammed, actually, from what I've heard.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right. And, you know, when we were in Santorini, that was kind of the most obvious of all of the places where... Tourism was fully back in force. Mm. The only, you know, what I found is that in Greece, people were really good about wearing their masks. So not just the people on the ship, but also right. kind of out and about in stores, even walking through crowded areas. You know, I kept my mask on in the big crowded areas of Santorini, even though it was outside. It's, you know, it was a very compressed Area of people, so yeah, I I didn't feel animosity from people there. Their vaccine program has been pretty robust, um, not as robust as a place like uh, Portugal, which has really sure. done very well. But yeah, so it was. I think because of those things, countries that have gone through it for the most part, as opposed to the United States, have been really careful about. Yeah reopening and keeping those lockdowns and guidelines in place. But again, you know, the, the trip on the boat and also off the boat was for me a really fantastic way to kind of enter back into the world. And I'm glad that I did it because now I don't know if I would do it. Mm.
0: Oh. Yeah, you you did it during that window. I'm hoping that window will open again fairly soon. Uh, yes. <laughs> everybody in the travel industry is. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show.
2: Pleasure's all mine.
0: And thank you all for listening. As I always say at this point, to those who are traveling, and I know that's fewer than when Chris traveled, but if you are hitting the road, may I wish you a hearty, on voyage see you next week
3: sour candy on the table lazy afternoons in your sweatpants watching